Our scripture reading today is Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 15 through 31. And our sermon title is Worship and Idolatry, God's Jealous Love. This is the Lord's word. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully. Since you saw no form on the day that the Lord spoke to you at Horeb, out of the midst of the fire. Beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the water under the earth. And beware lest you raise your eyes to heaven. And when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the hosts of heaven, you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them. Things that the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a place of his own inheritance, as you are this day. Furthermore, the Lord was angry with me because of you, and he swore that I, Moses, should not cross the Jordan and that I should not enter the good land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. For I must die in this land. I must not go over the Jordan. But you shall go over and take possession of that good land. Take care, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make a carved image, the form of anything the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. When your, father, when your father's children and children's children and have grown old in the land, if you act corruptly by making a carved image in the form of anything, and by doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God as to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will soon utterly perish from the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. You will not live long in it, but you will be, but will be utterly destroyed. And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And there you will serve gods of wood and stone, the work of human hands that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, so, will return to the, so you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. For the Lord your God is a, is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. May the Lord bless you in the reading of his holy word. Good morning, everyone, on this nice rainy day. Um, the Lord our God has given us another day together, another day to remember his goodness 
another day to get away from the world, to be together with God's people. And another again to be sort of reminded who we are and the goodness of God's grace and mercy in our lives. The second generation of Israelites who were about to go into and, and possess the land that God has promised. They're waiting. And Moses is there giving, him, giving them his sermon, a series of sermons, like an old father, telling them, listen, I'm going to pass away. I'm not going to go over there with you. But hear these words of who your God is and remember them well. I think for many of us living in our lives, we get caught up in the details of our lives too often and too quick. We get caught up in the, in the details of, of perhaps of, uh, circumstances in our lives that seem too big for us to handle. Perhaps conflicts with people that sort of consume our heart and consume our minds. Perhaps it's simply worrying about our future or what God has bestowed upon us or what he has not bestowed upon us and worrying about, Lord, I need X, Y, and Z to be happy and I'm waiting for you to give me X, Y, and Z. And we look at the tiny little slice of what our life is like today that we forget about the bigness of God and what he has been doing and what he will continue to do. And so Moses, like a good father, is, is sharing with his people, you have to remember the bigness of who God is and the bigness of his story of redemption and to understand that you as God's people, you fit into this story. That not only do you have a part in this story, but God knows exactly how this story is going to end for you. And not only that, but he's revealed to you that in the end, the story has a good ending. Christ will return. The story has a good ending. You will be with Christ. The story has a good ending. All your sins will no longer be in front of you. All your sufferings will be gone. And the longings of your heart that God has placed in you for fellowship, to be known, to have joy, will be fully realized when Jesus comes back. It's knowing the historic arc of the story, the narrative, that allows us to put all the details of life into perspective. I think many of us here growing up, you've, you, 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 we, we are children, many of us, of, 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 of immigrants. Our parents are probably people who immigrated here from, from, from Asia, from Korea, for many of us. And they will tell you stories of how they grew up. And they will tell stories of how your grandparents grew up and the difficulties of their lives there. And their historical arc in terms of what it means to suffer, in terms of what it means to not have anything, it's very different from ours. And sometimes there's a clash because we don't understand how they can suffer so much without saying anything. And they don't understand us because they say, why do you complain so much when you suffer so little? 
And God in his historical narrative here is saying to us, all of those things have its place. But the greater arc of what I'm sharing with you, says Moses, is what God has done and what God will do for you and for me. Now, so far as we look through Deuteronomy, there are two themes that have run through this, this, the first, um, the, the, the previous sermons here. Number one is the utter graciousness of God to his people. That God himself gives himself to his people without asking for anything. His undeserving mercy he bestows upon his people simply, by, simply out of his good will and his good intentions for his glory. When he looked upon the people of Israel, he said to the people of Israel, listen, I chose you not because there was any good in you. I chose you not because you were great amongst the nations. I simply chose you because I chose you. And the people of Israel are like you and me. They're, they're, there's no good in them. But his love for them is immense. And his love for them is constant. Why did God create Adam and Eve out of his good pleasure? The purpose to fellowship with God. Why did God call Abram out of Ur and to start this new people out of his good pleasure? Let me have fellowship with him. Why did God save Israel out of, out of Egypt, out of his good pleasure? That he may keep his promise to, to have a people, a nation who will worship him. Why did God call you and, and me to, to know him through Christ Jesus? Out of his good pleasure that we may know him and be found in him out of his good pleasure. The Old Testament and the New Testament are both stories of grace, are both stories of, of God's love for people like you and me. God calls us into his presence with our sins, with our shame, and yet, we are not undone, but because of Christ, we can see God face to face and not see simply our Lord, but see a Father who loves us. Grace. And that's what Moses constantly talks about. Do not forget God's love for you. Do not forget that God has promised to Abraham and to Isaac and Jacob this land. Do not forget that the God is the one who brought you out of Egypt. Do not forget that this is the God who chose you. Do not forget the lavishness, the graciousness of God. And that's where we need to start in Deuteronomy. That's where we'll, and that's where we'll finish as well once, this, once the series ends, as the series ends. The second thing that he, that, that he, he, he talks about is, is law, right? 
that God reveals this law to us and that the purpose of the law, okay, is not for us to gain God's favor again. He's already given it to us. But the main purpose of the law, I believe, is for us to remember God's graciousness. What does it mean? It's a, Thou shalt not have any other gods before me. It means, remember, I am the one who loves you. What does it mean that thou shalt not covet from other people? Thou shalt not steal. It means that you remember, I am the one who provides. Everything points back to God himself. The law is not burdensome for us who know God. The law is a delight for us who know God. And so as we read through Deuteronomy, and I hope that some of you are, are reading Deuteronomy with me, that you'll see these two themes coming up over and over again, the graciousness of God and the laws of God. And if you are someone who simply separates those two, you will not have a full understanding of what it means to be a child of God or even an Israelite. You can't have the graciousness of God without following his law. You can't have the law without the graciousness of God. The law will kill you. It'll be too burdensome. Without the law and simply grace alone, you will not remember who your God is. You'll be just like that child who you know, goes to Korea or goes to China and you get that nice red envelope. You don't remember who it's from but you know you have money, but you forget who it's from. But both are there to lead you and to, to lead you to, to God himself and in his presence. Now, what's interesting is that there's a third theme. And this third theme, I believe, sort of ties these two things in together. The graciousness of God and the law of God. And the third thing that we see throughout the book of Deuteronomy is idolatry. Idolatry. And the question is, what is idolatry? And how is it different from worship? Well, there, one way it's different is there's two different words for it in the Hebrew. But I think, pragmatically speaking, they're the same thing. Listen to me. Worship and idolatry is the same thing. It's simply depends upon the object of that worship. If the object of worship is God, then that's worship. If the object of worship is anything else, that's idolatry. All right? That sounds good. What's worship? <laughs> what does it mean to, to worship someone or to, or to worship something? Okay. Now, it's interesting, right? In the... Um, in, in, the, in the Ten Commandments, it says, uh, Thou shalt have no other gods before me, and thou shalt not form uh, an idol, you know, basically made in, in, the, in, the, in the shape of a god. <coughs> and, and what's interesting is that we, we know from the ancient Near East, and we know also from evidence here in Scripture, that people made idols or people worshipped things for basically two purposes. There's only two purposes, really, back in the ancient days. One, we need crops. 
We need crops. We need rain. We need, we need rain. We need the God of thunder to bring rain. We need to eat. We need to live. We need to survive. Second, fertility. We need children. <laughs> we need to have kids. Why? Because, you know, you know, you know, nowadays in the modern world, we don't need that many people to farm, farm that much land to, to feed that many people. And back then, you needed a lot of people to farm the land to have enough food for even just one person. We need, we need manpower. We need people, and we need food. Third thing you can say, though, actually, is you wanted safety. Safety from your enemies. And, and those were the three things that, that people worshipped their idols for. It, make, it makes sense. Even if you watch Game of Thrones, I don't watch it, but, you know, just, you know, any of these ancient movies, uh, uh, um, movies about ancient days, you know, it's food, it's, it's progeny, and, it, and, it's, and it's safety, it's war. And they believed, just like many people today, that this God was not a God of graciousness, but this God was a God that demanded things. And what you do is you go and you offer sacrifices to your God. And if your God is pleased with your sacrifices, it blesses you. If your God is not pleased with your sacrifices, it curses you. And this is what we see in, in the ancient Near East. We, we see that this type of understanding, and even in treaties, when, treaties when, when countries would make treaties with one another, you know, they would say, here are the stipulations, and if you keep them, blessings. If you don't keep them, curses. It's just the way they lived. It's the way they understood things. And so to worship something or to have something as an idol in your life is simply that which you sacrifice to that you hope to receive blessings. But that which if you don't sacrifice well to that you expect curses from. In our modern terms, we, we, that, that's what we call having idolatry in our lives is simply worshiping something else by giving our time, our energies, and our thoughts in such a way that if we think we work hard enough, if we have good thoughts hard enough, that good things will come. But that if good things don't come, it's because we didn't do something right. And we know that we have idolatries in our life, even today as Christians, because idols come into our hearts when we make, as, as Tim Keller likes to say, when we make good things into ultimate things. That's what, that's what Moses talks about here. All the great things that God has made, don't worship them. Don't make them into idols. Don't fashion them into anything. Don't make them me. But it's once you give your heart over to it 
and you give and you sacrifice, that when it blesses you, you feel good, that when it curses you, you feel bad. And so, so even for us today, the question is, is you know, what are some idolatries that, that happen in our lives today? What are idolatries in our, in our Christian life that makes us unable to remember the graciousness of God? What are some idolatries in our life today that, that when we see the laws of God, we see them as burdensome again? Many of us have different idolatries. But there's a simple litmus test to know whether or not you're worshiping God or you're worshiping something else. You know, um, David Paulson has this book called On Good and Angry. It's a, it's, a, it's a really good book. It's a real short book. It's a book about anger. And it's a book about um, sort of, you know, just what's going on when you have anger issues. And there's this one chapter, it's really short. It's one page, it's like a paragraph. And it basically says something like this. You have an anger problem. And the next paragraph, yes, you, you have an anger problem. Next, yes, you, you do have an anger problem. Just to get to the point that everyone has an anger problem. And what he's trying to show us is that that anger that we have, that whenever it comes out, shows, comes out in our lives, that that's an, that's an idol. Is that, what, that which we get angry about in a self-righteous manner, that what we're doing is we're sacrificing to it and we're not getting the fruits, we're getting the curses. And we feel like we're angry enough to, to lash out. I still recall, um, you know, I was born in, born in 1970, um, graduated from college in 92. And if you know, during the 90s, um, the stock market went up like crazy. Uh, from the early 90s until the crash in 99, it just, it just went up, went up like crazy. Um, I remember looking at the stock market and the, the, the tech, tech stocks were just going through the roof. Uh, I remember there was this one stock, um, um, I think it was called Pets.com, where they sold, sold pet food over internet. And I thought this was the most silliest stock ever. And it kept going up. They had, they had no numbers. There was no, uh, no profit yet, but it just kept going up. Uh, I remember this one stock, um, Juno.com. You remember Juno? It was like AOL. It was, a, it was a cheap way to get online, and it was like nine ninety nine a month. It's the fifty six k, you know, per whatever, really, really fast then. And I remember watching that stock. It was like, I remember it was like open like thirty, I think, went down to fifteen, and then one day shoo, went up to like eighty five. I'm like, dude, this is this is crazy. This is crazy. Uh, I remember my friends who, this, this one acquaintance I knew, he, he said, my goal is to be a millionaire by the time I'm 25. Okay. And he reached it really quickly. Uh, you, you, some of you have heard this story. Um, it, it was a different time back then. When he was, uh, he graduated from college, he got an offer from J.P. Morgan, basically, to be an analyst. And 
He took that acceptance letter, went to the Lexus dealership. The Lexus dealership showed it, gave him a loan, gave him a car. Drove back to campus. I go, what just, what just happened? What kind of world do we live in? You can't do that now. You can't do that now. You can't have this acceptance letter and say, hey, can I get a loan? You can't do that now. But I remember money. 80s and 90s, when greed is good, and people made lots of money. And they poured their time, their energy. They wasted relational capital. And when things were good, that idol gave them what they wanted. And they were extremely happy. But when that idol took away what made them happy, they were extremely angry, bitter, and disappointed. That's the generation I grew up in. <laughs> Money is always going to be an issue for us. Relationships is always an issue for us. Even asking God, God, why is my life like this? When I see the person sitting next to me, their life is like this. Why do I have to live like this? Whereas my friends over here get to live like that. Why do I have this burden in my life? And that person has no burden for what I can see in their life. And anger and resentment grow up. What is idolatry? What happens if, with idolatry in a relationship with, with, grace, with grace and law? It's very simple. Idolatry is forgetting God's graciousness and goodness. And idolatry is seeing the law as something burdensome and something there simply to prevent us from having happiness. And God no longer becomes a God who is near and close, but God becomes a God who is far and distant, not by his doing, but by our own doing. And this is why God in, in, in uh, Moses in Deuteronomy warns against idolatry. Because idolatry is simply um, the, the, the nexus and the summary of what it means to forget God. And so for us as God's people, and what Moses wants his people to remember is stay away from idols. Stay away from forgetting me. Stay away from looking at the law apart from grace and seeing nothing but naked laws meant to suppress you. But remember that I am the one who is good and I am the one who has given you all things. Now there's good news here. You might say, Pastor, this is, this is such bad news. This, you know, 
you talk about grace, you talk about the law, and it's all good. Now you talk about be careful of this idolatry because you, we commit idolatry. You know, it's, it, it's, it's going to pull us apart from the Lord. And that's true. But there's a promise here in this passage that, that we see, right? It says in verse 29 and 4 that if we remember and we seek God, that he will always forgive us of our idolatries. And there's another thing here in this passage that we have to remember, is that God is a jealous God, a consuming fire as well. And these two things work hand in hand together. You see, when God is that gracious God who saves you, not because of anything that you've done, but simply out of his good love, what the Bible teaches us is that God's character is one of consistent love and faithful love or faithfulness in his love. There's a Hebrew word for it called hesed. It's his loving kindness, which means his covenant love that once he gives it, he never takes it away. What God is saying to us is, is my love for you is so jealous that even if you were to walk away, you can't get away. Now, this might sound really creepy to you. And it is, if this God was not a good God. There's this, okay, this is a silly inter, uh, um, illustration, but I love this illustration. There's this one song that was a hit, and I think some rapper remade it, uh, by the police, Every Breath You Take. Every move you make, I'll be watching you. Every single day, every move you say, I'll be watching you. And back in the 80s, um, people used it as a love song. But Sting, who wrote it, said, no, it's a song about, about a stalker. <laughs> you know? And, but people sort of twisted it into a love song because it's like, oh, he's going to be watching me all the time. He's going to be with me all the time. He's going to look at me all the time. And, and you know, you know, the, the 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 difference is someone who's pursuing you with with love and a stalker is very thin. It's very thin. But God's pursuit of you is like that. But knowing that He's does not have malintention. Knowing that He's loving and perfect makes him the ultimate lover in our lives. And God pursues you and will continue to pursue you no matter how far deep you go into your idolatries. But God in his pursuit with you will never let you go so far that you will ultimately forget him. He will pull you out. Remember a couple of weeks, the, the analogy I gave, it's his covenant love for you is like a big rubber band around you. Once that rubber band's around you, it's, it's, it's a holy rubber band. It can't be broken. It's stronger than Wonder Woman's lasso. You know, it's, it's around you, and you can go as far as you want, but it's never going to break. But there comes a time, like we see here, that God will call you to repentance. And that's when that rubber band snaps back 
and you're face to face with that God who loves you again. That's how jealous God is for you. If you don't see it now, I want you to see it. You might say right now, you know what, no one, I'm just sort of living my life on my own and God really isn't anywhere. I'm sort of here and there and you know, I'm sort of okay with it. I guess God's okay with it. Let me tell you, rather, big, a word of warning, he is not okay with you. A word of warning, repent now or it's going to hurt more later. But it'll always be good. Because that's what our God does. That's how great his love is for us. God is a jealous God. He's the one who breaks idols. He will break your idol. He will call you back to him. And there's a caveat to all this thing in Deuteronomy is that we know the whole story, don't we? Now, the themes are still there from Genesis 6 to Revelation. The story of God's graciousness to his people. The story of, of the law that he's given to Israel and to, to even us, to, to know that we, we want to follow him and to, and to remember his graciousness in the Lord Jesus Christ. But here in Deuteronomy, we know that the Israelites fail. Right? Let's not forget this. They fail. Let's not forget this. They go into exile. Let's not forget this. They, they, they have idols. We know from the prophet Ezekiel that uh, when the prophet in the vision is cast back to, to the temple, that they go inside the temple and they see idols drawn on the temple walls. Can you believe that? The place of worship where God's presence was. And there was a reason why God told people not to fashion any idols, not to make anything that has even a, a hint of an image of even me. Because one day, there would be that image bearer that the world could see face to face that you could properly worship. See, the, the whole idea of this idolatry, the whole idea of this graciousness and the law, all comes down to that every one person, that's right, Christ Jesus, who is the image bearer of God, who is the exact representation of God, a physical manifestation of God that all could worship. That in Christ Jesus is the fullness of graciousness in his life, his death, and resurrection. That in Christ Jesus is the manifestation of love. He has fulfilled all the laws that God has demanded, and he's died for them. And he's fulfilled the, 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 the greatest law, which is that to love. And he's given us that love. And he's given that to you and to I and to me to go and to love other people. When we read this passage, we see hope. But when we know the whole story, we know that Israel fails. 
For we know that in Christ Jesus, that all of this, although Moses simply saw a shadow, we see in its fullness. That Jesus is the one we worship. Jesus is the one we see face to face and is gracious to us. Jesus is the one who's jealous for us. But instead of being one who pours out wrath and his jealousy, what does he do? He pours out his own life for us and dies for us. That Jesus has given us the commandment to love one another. And we do so, again, with a graciousness towards who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Brothers and sisters, keep yourselves from idolatry. Brothers and sisters, keep your eyes on Jesus, the manifestation of what we see, what we have heard, what we have witnessed, the very Son of God who has come. Let's pray.